Welcome to Successful Student Transitions, a time to thrive. Life is full of change and resulting periods of transition. And some of life's big transitions begin as students, as they move through the educational process and then on to the world of work or further education, university and independent living. If students can learn how to thrive through these transitions, they'll acquire invaluable skills that will help support them through a lifetime of change and transition. So if you're a student facing some life transitions or an educator or parent supporting students through these times of change, then this podcast is for you. We share insights and suggestions to help students thrive in a world where change is the only constant. So welcome to episode 17. Now in this episode you're going to meet Natasha Winnard. Natasha is an international educator and youth empowerment consultant who's fueled by her passion to support and guide young people to achieve their potential. Through her consultancy she supports and guides mobile students and their families. Now as you listen to this highly practical conversation, see what resonates for you. Natasha shares her tips for getting prepared, starting strong and staying strong. While her advice is targeted at international students, it makes interesting listening for home-based students too. Some of Natasha's tips are equally as relevant to home-based students as they are to international students. And also her stories and advice will help home-based students better understand the challenges faced by their international student colleagues. And this will hopefully help them to provide better support to them as well. I hope also that parents and educators will find this interesting too. So hello and welcome to this episode of Successful Student Transitions, A Time to Thrive. I'm Louise Wiles and I'm very excited to be here today with Natasha Winard. Natasha's joining us from Rio de Janeiro in Brazil and we've just been talking, it's carnival time as I record this, so <laughs> she's in a city full of you know, all that amazing um, visual sort of Im- images that bring to my you know, bring to my mind anyway, um, carnival in um, in Brazil. So lovely to that you're joining us, Natasha. Perhaps you could just give us a bit of background to, to you. I've said that you're in Brazil, but tell us a little bit more about the work that you do, how you've come to be doing the work that you do and who you support. Okay, thank you, Louise. It's lovely to be part of the uh, the podcast. I've been listening to it, and certainly um, I know that the families I worked with around the world are getting some great uh, tips. Okay. So I've always worked um, in education, always with young people. Um, I trained in the UK to be um, an 11 to 18-year-old teacher, started off teaching geography, um, A-level um, GCSE. And then after three years in the UK, I moved to my first international school position at um, International School Manila in the Philippines. And since then, I've worked with um, many amazing children, uh, young people and their families for about 25 years in a 
a role um, in a variety of roles, um, international educator, um, a three to 18 sort of pastoral leader, guidance counsellor, um, college, university and career counsellor, mentor and volunteer. Um, I've worked in Europe, Asia, Africa and uh, South America. So quite a lot of experience in different parts of the world, in different roles, in um, sort of British, international, American, international schools. And in 2019, just before the pandemic, um, I decided to leave full-time work in international schools and set up my own consultancy, uh, Natasha Winard Consultancy. Um, the timing was perfect in hindsight with the, the pandemic because everyone was going online. And today my consultancy focuses on providing holistic, personalised online services to support and guide mobile students and their families. So I've worked very hard to build a relationship and I provide social, emotional, academic, university careers and transition support. So very varied, work with students all over the world. Fantastic. Right. Well, wow, what, a, what a range of experience you have had um, in so many different locations as well. So perfect for this, this podcast. And I have a feeling that we're going to have to have you back multiple times with that experience and that range of, sort of expertise. But today we're particularly focusing on, on yeah, teens, students in their late teens who are moving on to yeah, higher education and often higher education in another location away from home. So I'd love to draw on your experience of working with those those students. And to start with, with the, through your work with students, you know, what, what kind of challenges do you see them facing as they sort of contemplate or start to embark on this move to studying abroad away from their, their home location? Okay, yeah, I mean... The challenges often vary depending on previous experience. Um, but there are some common themes that, you know, I've, I've supported students with, observed over the years. Um, I think the first one, and especially at this time of the year, I've been working with quite a few students recently, climate is a challenge. Um, you know, if students have perhaps been living in a warm country, a warm climate prior to going to university, if they go to the UK, um, the east coast of the US, the Netherlands, Canada, um, you know, people warn them about the weather, but it can be a real, real shock to the system. Um <laughs> And especially challenging if they're in a Northern Hemisphere university and they go back to university January, February, maybe after a family holiday in a warm location. Um, you know, they struggle with the lack of daylight hours. Um, you know, um, it can be a bit of a shock to the system when it gets dark between three and four in the afternoon. And... I often will check in with students that I've worked with um, for university applications at this time of the year, because I know that that is a real challenge. And, you know, many of them need some support going through that six to eight weeks when the weather can be particularly bad. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it kind of coincides with that settling in phase as well, which 
um, as I guess another dimension to settling in. I mean, it's tough enough. I mean, being a Brit living in the UK, supposedly used to winter. I still, I struggle. You know, dark nights, dark at four o'clock. You know, we're now talking in February. It's beginning to get lighter, and that makes such a difference to life. So I can see, and I guess also for the international student who comes from us. So if we're talking of moving, perhaps from a southern hemisphere where the long summer holiday is the Christmas period, um, they kind of miss out on that, don't they? I'm just suddenly thinking because they, yeah, yeah they miss summer both ways. So, yeah. And also, you know, that can be a, a great time to catch up with friends that are perhaps staying in the host country. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a, a classic example here in Brazil. You know, a number of international school students will stay in Brazil for their undergraduate years. Mm-hmm. So they will have their holidays until the beginning of February, whereas those friends of theirs that have gone off to the US, Canada, Europe are having to leave pretty much, you know, the 6th of January yeah. when all the yeah. fun and the weather's good. Mm-hmm. Um, another challenge, again, um, that can really impact the transition phase is a late start to university because of visa issues. Mm-hmm. Um you know, if students are waiting for A-level or IB results in July to confirm university places, then it can potentially delay the processing of visas. Um, And it can make it harder to settle if, because of a visa issue, students miss those first few weeks, which we know is so important as far as connecting with new friends, um, you know, joining societies, etc. Um, so a late start can be a challenge sometimes for international students who are needing visas to study in, in um, you know, international locations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard that's a, a one I've heard quite a few comments about recently. And actually, Ben, who is in episode 12 of The Student Voices, he talks about that, but that's in relation to work experience, but still you know, it's definitely a, a valid issue for, for many people, yeah. Another challenge um, can be accommodation. I mean, um, some international students have that I've worked with have missed accommodation deadlines mm-hmm. and they've had problems renting in the private market because of a lack of a bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, And this has been certainly a challenge that quite a lot of students that I've worked with this year have faced. I mean, I I know of a a family whose son has been um, in different Airbnbs in Holland, at least for the first eight to ten weeks of the start of the semester. Mm. Um, And I think certainly accommodation is becoming increasingly challenging in places like Holland because we know certainly with Brexit that a lot of students that perhaps would have gone to the UK um, from Europe are now staying in Europe, Mm -hmm. um, mainland Europe. And so, you know, the challenges for accommodation um, have proved to be difficult, especially in, in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And again, we know that that can really impact a transition. You know, if you're spending, you know, one week sleeping on somebody's floor and another week in an Airbnb, you just can't settle. We know that as adults. I know, mm. know that when I've moved around the world and I've not necessarily settled in my accommodation for the first six months, it can really mm. hit me mm. hard. Mm. And I guess it depends on the type of, uh, type of higher education institution you're going to. But I mean, here in the UK, um, universities tend to provide accommodation um sort of in UK university residences, some of them are private, some are owned by the university. So in that sense, it's slightly different because they do have a mind for or an awareness of the challenge for international students and and, and sort of support that. But that might I mean, be I have had around the world that are in the UK and, uh, you know, for whatever reason have missed deadlines and it's proved to be really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's probably a real important highlight to any student listening here. Look for the deadlines and make sure you make them because <laughs> you make your life a whole load more so it's simpler and straightforward. Yeah. And I think there are sometimes some international students in some parts of the world and cultures that are quite used to sort of navigating themselves around missing deadlines. But the reality is that when you go to university, for example, in the UK, a deadline is a deadline. <laughs> There's no cultural accommodation there. You know. Yeah, no, that's very true. Very true. Yeah. Another point, um, another challenge can sometimes be maturity. Um, you know, sometimes international students find the age equivalent students from a host country sometimes a little bit immature. And that can be mainly due to very different life experiences. Um, you know, I've worked with a number of students that. Um, have gone off to university and actually found that their core friends are post-grads because, you know, their life experiences perhaps have meant that they have been used to um, socialising with people from different ages. You know, the extended family, the older cousins, aunties and uncles have always been very much part of their social network. And, you know, sometimes they can go to a university and a lot of the students it's their first experience away from home mm. and therefore their maturity is just different. And so it can be sometimes hard to find those like-minded friends. Mm. That's, a, that's a really interesting point. And I think it's one that in, in the UK I've heard for some students who have perhaps had a year off and, and gone to university and, and find that, you know, there can always be a year and a half to almost two years age difference, you know, depending on birth dates and academic years that kids are in. So it, it can, yeah, that's a re- real challenge. I would say um, that's where probably the societies and the, the social um, activities come in because through those you can meet, yeah, people from absolutely. across the, the different years, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, this this um, is an interesting one, but it, it's very real. Um, one of the challenges can sometimes be getting around. Um, you know, international students who've grown up in countries where there are high security risks or poor infrastructure may not actually be used to walking in towns and cities or even, you know, riding a bike. Um, I remember a couple of years ago touching base with a former student Um He went off to the US to university from Sudan and, um, you know, checked in with him about week three. And he just said, God, miss, my legs are killing me. I'm using muscles that I've never, ever used before. 
And, you know, I didn't expect this at all. You know, I was expecting him to say that, you know, he was struggling with, you know, perhaps the ac academic work or whatever. But he said, no, it was my legs. <laughs> um, and, you know, that is a reality for some students mm -hmm. that are coming from um, cultures, um, cities where they're being driven around a lot. Obviously, you have sport at school and what have you. But the actual act of walking in a street, mm -hmm. you know, probably for two or three hours a day, you know, between university lectures can be <laughs> quite a challenge. That's a really interesting one and one I hadn't hadn't thought about. But yeah, I can, I can totally understand how that can be. Yeah. And then then this student and I chatted about, um, you know, maybe getting a bike. And he's like, well, I've never ridden a bike. So we had to go through the whole process, you know, of trying to understand, you know, how to ride a bike. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the final challenge um, is one of dialects. Um, you know, many international students are often multilingual, um, but sometimes varying dialects can make it very hard for them to understand staff and other students. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know of um, a Bolivian student who went to the university in the US and um, she found it so difficult at the beginning to understand people mm. that she actually um, spoke to her dad and said, could you just check that my international school is teaching English well for my siblings? Because I don't think I've been taught English properly. Um, you know, and again, when you're transitioning, those little things mm. You know, you could be in an international school environment and you're understanding everything. You've got used to the international school community. And then all of a sudden, you know, you hear a dialect. And certainly I know, you know, in the UK, um, you know, there are lots of different dialects. You go to university in Newcastle, um, Birmingham, Portsmouth. You know, there are very clear differences um, for somebody who may be a very good English language speaker, but is going to struggle possibly in a lecture. Yeah, so there's some of the sort of challenges that, um, you know, are quite specific to international students. And, you know, I've come across certainly in the last two or three years. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing those. And um, they're ones that I can, I can certainly have heard people talk about, you know, not, not so much the getting around in the dialect, but there's a two, yeah. It's interesting because actually I was watching a programme, I won't say what programme it was last night, but it was um, a Portuguese guy working on a, on a cruise ship. And he was, to, to listen to him, he sounded fluent as anything in English, but he was really struggling with the kind of language of instruction and understanding, you know, the words and how they related to what he was required to do, actually, for the tasks required. So I can totally see how, you know, that can be a challenge. And I guess that's a, a message for all of us, you know, in our own national countries to be really aware as educators as well, you know, of a challenge for students in that respect, yeah. Great, so I can see my next question moving on was going to be around, you know, what can students do to better prepare? So I think there are some tips you know, from, from what we've just, just discussed, discussed in terms of the challenges about preparation and timelines perhaps, and, and being as clear as you can around those issues. But what else have you sort of observed students um, doing or not doing <laughs> that has yeah, helped I mean, them prepare well? As far as climate, you know, just reminding students to maximise daylight hours, mm -hmm. uh, you know, maximise winter sun hours. Um, I was talking to her, a student the other day in London and uh, she said that her mum had given her a sun lamp for Christmas so that she could get a vitamin D. <laughs> um, 
you know, um, you know, maybe um, supplements, vitamin D supplements, make sure your diet is rich in, you know, eggs, milk, oranges, that sort of thing. Um, another student I spoke to, she's joined um, the Surf Club Society so that she can get a trip in February in the sun. To the sun. <laughs> so be quite intentional in making sure that you manage climate. Mm-hmm. Um, the visa issue, um, I would really recommend um, understanding the visa process as part of your research process. That's really important, mm-hmm. you know, and booking um, appointments in advance as much as you can. Yeah. I mean, some countries yeah. will say, you know, until you've actually got a confirmed letter from a university, you can't apply for a visa. But some mm-hmm. countries you can actually book an appointment and maybe cancel it if you can't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, accommodation, yes. Um, meet all deadlines. That's absolutely key. And keep an eye on those emails. I mean, often accommodation deadline emails come through at the same time that you're in your final phase of preparing for A-levels or APs or IBs. Mm-hmm. So you take your eye off um, your emails. And that's where I've had a few students, despite being reminded, you know, have missed out on deadlines. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, researching accommodation, especially for international students, is as important as researching the course in the university. Um, because as you said, not all universities will be able to provide accommodation opportunities for first years, for example. Yeah, and, and also some will provide accommodation for international students that they, they tend to put international students together. So, you know, that's a choice. You know, you can choose that that's what you want to do or not, um, but, you know, it can help in some ways and um, it depends on preference, I guess, but you know, just being aware of the different and I think most universities if you search international they'll have an area of their website that's dedicated to international students and the support they provide including sort of mentors and um well certainly in the UK yeah. so, <laughs> and internationally um you know all of the international unit well many of the international universities around the world you know are very active now on social media mm-hmm. um you know they have their Instagram accounts where they've got students talking about accommodation um you know so it's very much um you know staying connected with um university social media yeah um you know maturity i mean you did mention the idea of um you know reaching out to clubs but also um you know you can reach out to your school counselor your university admissions person your alumni team at um, school and they can often connect you with former students which is a really great way, you know, you are, you arrive, you know, let's imagine you arrive at the University of Toronto, you know, the chances are there's going to be somebody from your school that is there. And, mm. you know, I think sometimes, you know, teachers or parents will say, oh, you know, connect with so-and-so's daughter, and you tend not to, but you should, because all of a sudden that's a group of friends that are a little bit older, and that might, you know, help that maturity mm. um, issue. And also, you know, many universities now will offer opportunities to connect with students through their websites through social media you know the more friends that you can make prior to going across the age range you know the better yeah yeah definitely and they do tend to set up instagram groups i i think (laughs) yeah based on interests or accommodation or subjects so yeah Mm -hmm. 
and getting around. I mean, you know, it's it's um, you know many school trips from international schools to um, maybe the US or Western Europe will focus very much on um, you know giving students the opportunities to walk, to ride a bike, to use the bus or a train. So I think if you know that that's something that you're not very good at, then it's certainly important to try and practice as much as you can in your holidays or, you know, get there a little bit earlier if your visa allows and, and you know, get used to these sorts of mm. practical issues. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then dialect, you know, the issue is very much, um, you know, creating as wider and as diverse friendship group as you can. So you're quickly listening to as many dialects as possible. You know, we all know that when you're learning new languages in, in different countries, the more exposure, the better. And never be afraid to ask, I think, Absolutely. as well. People are always, yeah, very willing to help. Yeah. Or slow down, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> one thought, and actually one great thing in the UK, and I think as a result of COVID, you know, because suddenly lectures had to be recorded, during COVID, universities have continued to record all lectures. So, I mean, that's one big advantage now. Even though you might attend the lecture um, in person, you will always be able to listen back again as well. So not quite the pressure there perhaps used to be in that sense. Um, but also, I mean, you know, that is a fantastic strategy that universities are offering. But that also, you know, I was talking to a, a student um, in the UK, a Greek student, and he's very much relying on those lectures to kind of go over them because he misses a few things. But again, that adds time that may be taking from um, you know, you're socialising. So, yeah, you know, there's okay. lots of challenges there. Um, you know, there's there's lots of strategies, but it's it's sort of prioritizing what you need when you need it mm. to help you with that transition. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually one thought I when you were talking about accommodation, I don't know how this applies to universities in the States, but in the UK, you choose between having accommodation that provides food for you, catered or non-catered. Um so perhaps having when you're making that accommodation choice thinking through the logistics you know do you want to be cooking for yourself because that will mean you're having to shop for yourself there's a whole new um new, new sort of experience I guess of shopping in a different country with different foods and really be able to buy what you need and all of those things so really thinking carefully about that choice too yeah yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, managing a, a budget in a different currency, you know, that adds to that yeah. challenge as well. Yeah, yeah, no, very true. Very true. Great. OK, so some lovely practical tips there um, as you as people prepare. So um, as parents, you know, I always think about the parents who are having to let their <laughs> young people go and um, travel to some far away country and start life independently. Um, what do you think parents can do to, to support that transition? Because it can be, as a parent myself, I know, it can be very tempting to micromanage and um, manage the process for, their, for, your, for your child. Um, not always the best idea, though. So what have you seen that parents have done or not done that's been helpful or not helpful? Um, it, lots and lots of things. Um, and also, you know, I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, often parents are a lot better at this than they think they are. You know, there's often this fear that it's not going to be great. But, you know, we, we need to remember that when our children go to university um, or college or whatever, um, you know, 
you've been a parent for 18 years and there's been a lot of uh, preparation that you've been doing without realizing it. Um, um, but I mean, you know, there are the sort of three stages within this. There's the sort of getting prepared, there's the starting strong and the staying strong. Um, you know, I think as far as getting prepared, um, you know, talk through the what ifs, um, you know, make a habit of talking through scenarios. Um, you know, how will you get clean laundry if your machine breaks? Um, you know, what if you lose your wallet or your phone? Um, you know, if if our children develop good answers um, to these kinds of hypotheticals, then um, when they go off to university, they're going to be more confident handling real world problems that arise at university and they may feel less anxious. Mm. So I think it's really important in that sort of preparation phase, whether it's the year before, the few months before, the few weeks before, you know, parents talking through the what ifs over meals. Mm. Um, you know, that's an important one. Um, I was talking to a, a parent um, the other day about, you know, what did you do that's worked? And one of the things that uh, she mentioned is this idea of, um, you know, starting strong. And she said, I, you know, I'm not joking, but investing money in the most comfortable bedding possible, but quality sleep is money well spent. Um, we know that quality sleep is so important for well-being. You know, and, and often students can struggle with sleeping, you know, in a new environment. Maybe there's noise next door, um, you know, and we know that student accommodation is rarely luxurious. So, you know, it is important to take the plunge and make a nest for our children, you know, extra cushions, extra bedding so that their bed is like their sofa. I mean, I think how often my son relaxes on our sofa. Um, and how that impacts his well-being. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, certainly students and parents that are willing to invest that little bit more money in that bedding is money well spent. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And I think in, in setting up the room as a you know, a comfortable, welcoming space, because it's kind of home, isn't it? It's, particularly when you don't have a home in the country, it is your very important home. So also photographs and... Um, yeah, perhaps some money for a few pot plants and anything that makes it feel comfortable. Yeah, no, absolutely. And especially, you know, you mentioned that, you know, often international students don't have homes in their country and, you know, some of their friends will be going home for weekends. And mm -hmm. so their bedroom will become their, you know, weekend base as well. So that is really important. And also, I think, um, you know, how parents can support at this sort of staying strong phase is double check support. You know, universities are usually pretty good at making sure that universities are given plenty of support mm. in the first term, the first semester. Um, but it, we should, as parents, just double check, you know, that our child is registered with a doctor um, and at least mm. that they know where to find university support services. Yeah. Yeah, and that's important. And I, I often say this to students, you know, when you're researching universities, don't just focus on the course, focus on the support services as well. Um, you know, what sort of counselling services, what sort of transition support services, you know, what sort of support will they be able to give you? 
you know, if things are a little bit more challenging than you think, mm. um, you know, and, and physically knowing where those buildings are. Yes, yes, finding them, yeah, and going and perhaps introducing yourself as well um, can be helpful um, and just asking for any, you know, guidance initially and overview of, of the support services so that you've spoken to someone you've got a face that you could put to a name and then you know where to go if you, if you need that support yeah and I think as a parent you know when you, your student your child is doing that sort of research you know it's important to ask those sorts of questions mm. um, you know what what sort of support are they going to be able to give you um, you know what how close is the gym to you if that's what you want to do for exercise, you know, mm-hmm. um, not just asking about, you know, the rankings or the, you know, the employability post-graduation, which as parents, we we tend to have a little bit, you know, we tend to do that a little bit more than we should, perhaps. Yes, yes. And it is the complete experience that is so important and that, that feeling comfortable and, and supported. And some universities do it a lot better than others. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why that research process is so important, mm-hmm. especially if you know you are going to need a little bit of support. Yeah. If you've been somebody in the past that has maybe struggled with a with a transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice and really important. So and I love the what if, what if scenarios. That's, <laughs> that's a really great idea to, to think about those different what ifs. Um, and and talk those through because that builds confidence and you know immediately means your your child has a a good idea about what they'll do when an emergency strikes of some kind yeah so okay so the let's move on to arrivals so students arrive and they're they're settling in do you have any advice that you can share with them specifically about that sort of settling in phase that early early sort of few weeks and months yeah, I mean, I think with international students, remind that they've success, successfully transitioned before and they can do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, many students that go to university overseas have already moved countries, homes, schools, made new friends many times. Mm-hmm. And it's just that reminder that you've been there, you've done that and you can do it again with support. You'll be fine. And if you're not, we know how to navigate that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'd encourage anyone listening to go back and listen to Toby. I think Toby's episode 13 or 14, not sure, but he was an international, he's, he's lived abroad, you know, and, and and went to university in the UK. And he said that that previous transition experience has been really, really helpful for his transition to university. In fact, the transition to university is quite easy in comparison to some of those international moves he found, um, just because of the fact that you're surrounded with people your age and you know, from a social perspective um he found it quite easy to fit in um but yeah it's different for everybody but yeah drawing on those experiences definitely helpful. I mean, there's often a skill set there that you know you can draw on yeah 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 without a doubt and as we've said already you know join societies and be quite strategic in the societies you join you know if you're a french speaker the french society the afghan society the american football club the argentine tango society <laughs> so early days connecting with students that have had similar experiences before university can really help yeah. especially if you need to be hearing a familiar language or you want to share food from home wherever home was before you move to university. Um, you know, it's 
joining societies that interest you, but also being a little bit intentional in those first mm. few weeks and months as far as, you know, connecting with like-minded people to give you that little bit of extra support. Yeah, that's a really um, good idea. Yeah. And, you know, watch your sleep. Again, I mean, I sleep is one of my big mantras with many of the students I work with. I know so many students that once they get overtired, you know, it all is very overwhelming, as it is for us all, <laughs> you know. And, you know, in those first few weeks, days, months, you're trying to do everything. You're trying to maximise all the opportunities and you can very, very quickly get overtired. And then the little things become the big things. And yeah. that's when it can, you know, you we know about obviously the the cycle of transition, but that's when that dip can really hit hard um, mm -hmm. if you're not sleeping well. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And I think, yeah, sleep is the first thing to go because, you know, if you're partying and socialising, particularly those first crazy weeks of freshers when you feel perhaps you have to get as involved as possible, as much as possible, and then um, lectures kick in. And, you know, it seems to be that first-year students often get that 8.30, 9.30 slot for lectures. <laughs> So that can really do, do serious damage to your sleep if you're up partying late and up early for lectures. Um, there's not much time for sleep. So, yeah, definitely. I've seen that with students that they just become, well, exhausted, exhausted. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. And also, you know, if you're in your home country, then, you know, the chances are, you know, you can go home for a weekend and sleep from sort of Friday night to Sunday morning. But, you know, international students might not necessarily have that ease of option if they're in a noisy hall of residence at weekends for example. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, that is really important. Yeah. Um, and also I think um, you know, make new friendships whilst also keeping old ones. Um, you know, the chances are your old friends are going to be scattered all over the world, facing similar challenges if they're also, you know, going off to university that year. And it's worth staying as connected as you can to support each other, you know, yeah. through that time. Um, you know, I, I know of groups of students that in those first few days and weeks have weekly Zoom chats. Um, you know, it can be a bit challenging when you're in different time zones. But, you know, it can be nice to see a familiar face, especially at weekends. And again, being quite intentional in, you know, connecting with people at weekends, because that can be hard for students, especially, you know, if you've got universities where um, home students will go home for weekends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm noticing that with my kids that, yeah, going home is a much more frequent occurrence than it was when I was at university, you know, for a whole like, range of reasons. It's just easier to do. And, um, yeah, so you do get those times when people have reading weeks, for example, halfway through a term in the UK and everyone disappears home. So, yeah, being aware that that could happen. And connect that connection back with past friends, even for people who are, if you're listening and you, you just moved, you've only moved within your own country, still that connection back to your home friends and network is so important to keep that. Oh, absolutely. And I think sometimes, you know, parents can sort of encourage um, their children, you know, focus on the new friends. Um, you know, you're not going to settle if you keep focusing on your old friends. But actually, I think the two together is, is crucial, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, really important yeah definitely because I mean it is yeah university is actually just for three years you know 
life continues around it as well. You are, you've got holidays, you're not always there. So um, really important to maintain all of that, yeah. And also, you know, I think modelling to, you know, our children that, you know, it takes effort to maximise a friendship group, especially the international friendship groups that many international students have. Yeah. You know, and you've got to put a little bit of time into that. And good friends will, you know, recognise that in those early days, it might be a bit hit and miss because everybody's got different time con- commitments and time zones. But I think to try and make that commitment to old friends is 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 good to support yourself and each other through those early days. Yeah, yeah. And to know that just because you're moving location doesn't mean your whole life is moving and, and the rest just gets forgotten um, each time yeah. we move, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Um, so anything else to, to add? And we've covered a lot of ground in this conversation. Um, have you got any other points to share about the settling? Yeah, in? I mean, if, if things, you know, start to go, you know, not to plan, um, and if, if, you know, students are really struggling in those first few weeks, um, you know, I think go back to the basics, you know, always sleeping, eating well, exercise. Um, you know, I think with all students, all of us, you know, if ever we're struggling, you know, just remind ourselves, are we doing those basic well-being things? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think also if you are struggling in those first few days and weeks and months, maybe, you know, prioritise the stuff that you enjoy doing. Um you know, I had a, a student who was at school in Nairobi, a, a Spanish um, student. She ended up going to Barcelona for university. And, you know, she maximised her time in bookshops, reading books, because she could access Spanish language books that she wasn't able to access quite so easily in Nairobi. Mm-hmm. So in those first few weeks, when it was hard, you know, she was doing that, and that helped her. Um, you know, a student who lived in Angola for six years, one of the reasons she chose to go to the University of Amsterdam was because she wanted to have access to uh, to museums that she hadn't really had in Angola. So, you know, during those tough times, she was maximising the museums. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and the Sudanese student I worked with who went to UBC, to Vancouver, you know, one of the reasons he wanted to go to Vancouver was because there was open spaces, so walking in the parks... So, you know, prioritise the stuff that you enjoy doing if it's mm-hmm. tough. Mm-hmm. 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 I think and, that's really good. And then just the final point, you know, it is hard, but you've we've, in a new setting, we all know this, and it's hard for kids, but it's important to push ourselves to make connections. Mm-hmm. You know, um, even if it means going into a local coffee shop alone, making eye contact with the barista, um, you know, saying good morning or even spending a little bit longer in your university accommodation laundry room just so there's an opportunity to meet somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, we've that's the one thing we've got to push hard to try and do, make those connections. And we, and, you know, international students know that from moving schools, but it's worth reminding them that that's important. Yes, yes. And, and remembering that everyone is feeling the same way in that first term first few weeks so um not to feel shy because i think you know if you start a conversation with someone i'm pretty certain the majority of people will continue it and and yeah want to know more about you so yeah 
And also, you know, I think one of the students I was listening to on your podcast mentioned this, um, you know, it takes a while to develop lifelong friendships. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be that in that first six months, the people that you meet um, are not necessarily going to be friends in the second semester or second term, uh, but they might be. Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of being patient that, you know, it will all come together. It might just not happen quite so quickly. And if a friend at another university has already got great friends, (laughs) you know, don't worry, you will as well. Yeah, it all happens in different sort of phases and at different paces, I think, but for different people. But most people get there in the end. And that's the thing. It's not to panic about it. it, I I totally understand how you can feel that you need to panic because it's, you know, friendship, that connection is so important. So important. Yeah. Hence why, you know, staying connected with those old friends through that transition phase is a good strategy. Yeah. 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 And speaking to your family and your parents and, you know, yeah, all important stuff. Brilliant. Well, I think we've covered a huge amount of ground there and some fantastic, lovely little snippets of stories and um, ideas and approaches. So thank you so much for sharing all your experience. That's that's been really helpful. Thank you, Natasha. Well, thank you, Louise. And I hope this um, sort of guides and supports some students and and families. Uh, But I, I very much appreciate the opportunity. There's lots of examples there that I'm very, very keen to share with as many people as possible so that the transition is a healthy and happy one. Thank you very much for your time today, Natasha. Not at all. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us today. So please do reach out to Natasha if she could be of more help to you. You can find links to her website on the transcript so that you can download from our website. More details in a moment about that. Or go to her website, natashawinard.com. Now, you might like to listen to all the past podcasts, but the following ones are particularly related to this conversation. So podcast 14, Voices in Transition, we talked to Toby about his move to university in the first year and what he learned about transition and how his previous international moves had helped him to settle in quickly. In podcast 12, Voices in Transition, we talked to Ben where we talked about his move to university and then his move to Madrid in Spain, where he went to work in his year out. Ben shares his challenges and what he learned about making international moves. In podcast episode nine, Nurturing Supportive Relationships, we discuss ideas for developing new friendships in the early weeks and months of university life. And finally, in podcast episode six, why it helps to ask. You know, we often feel embarrassed to ask, but most people do actually want to help us. So this episode's been designed to help and inspire you to reach out and ask for help. So thank you so much for listening today. We hope you have enjoyed this conversation. And don't forget those handy resources that we discussed at the beginning of the podcast. You can access the full transcript for this episode and also the think sheets for a small fee by going to the website louisewiles.com forward slash successful dash student dash transitions. Thank you for listening. Bye bye for now.